Money is the root of all evil. We've all heard that before, and there is some truth to it. The love of money can easily become the object of someone's greed, and therefore lead them into gross sin, and eventually, death. Welcome to Every Last Word, a radio and internet program with Dr. Philip Ryken, teaching the whole Bible to change your whole life. We're currently studying the life of the prophet Elisha, as found in 2 Kings. Sin always begins with an evil desire, which gives rise to the manifestation of some sin, which eventually leads to death. Well, Phil, today we're going to continue where we left off last time with Naaman, as the focus of the story shifts from him to another character. Who is it that we're going to meet today? Well, Mark, his name is Gehazi, which is a name that no one would want to have. It means avaricious, which is a fancy way of saying the guy was greedy. And Gehazi was a servant of Elisha, and when he saw Naaman receive a cleansing miracle by the ministry of the prophet Elisha, he was really offended that he wasn't charged anything for it, and he had a sneaky way of trying to get some money from this wealthy man, Naaman. But as we'll see at the end of the story, he gets a little bit more than he bargained for. Well, Phil, how would you counsel material Americans in general, especially those who are wealthy, to avoid this kind of evil greediness that Gehazi demonstrates? Well, Mark, when you talk about wealthy Americans, really, that's almost all of us. I mean, if you look in terms of world history and the world situation today, we just have so much material prosperity. And yet, even for all our prosperity, we still want more That's not the biblical way of contentment. God is not calling us to desire more and more and more, and only then we'll be satisfied. But actually to seek to desire less of material things and more of God himself. And that's when we will be truly satisfied. Phil, we thank you. Let's turn in our Bibles now to 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 19, and listen to God's word for us today. I want to begin by asking you this question. Do you want to get rich? Well, of course you do. Doesn't everybody want to get rich? But before you start to make your first million, there is something you should know. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And there is perhaps no better illustration of the truth of these verses than the story of greedy Gehazi. Gehazi started well in the faith. He was a servant to a prophet. He was an eyewitness of the resurrection when Elisha raised the Shunammite son from the grave. He witnessed the cleansing of a leper when Naaman was cleansed in the Jordan River. And so he had every spiritual advantage, but he wanted to get rich. In fact, his very name means avaricious, which is an advanced vocabulary word for greedy. He wanted to get rich, and so he fell into a trap and into temptation, into many foolish and harmful desires. 
And in the end, he wandered from the faith and pierced himself with many griefs. And surely the most piercing grief of all came at the end of this chapter when Elisha said, Naaman's leprosy will cling to you and to your descendants forever. And then Gehazi went from Elisha's presence and he was leprous, as white as snow. And this is, I believe, one of the most chilling moments in the Bible. One man's disease clings to another man's skin forever. What sin could this man have committed to receive such a dire punishment? Well, it all began with greed, which proves that the love of money is truly the root of all evil. You may remember the story, Naaman the Valiant had traveled from Syria down to Israel so Elisha could cleanse him from his leprosy, and he found his cure. He was cleansed when he bathed in the Jordan River seven times, and his skin emerged as soft and as clean as a baby's cheek. Naaman was so happy about this that he wanted to give Elisha a gift. He had come down from Syria with a king's ransom, 750 pounds of gold and 150 pounds of silver and 10 new designer garments. And yet Elisha refused to accept even one coin for his services. And so after they had made their farewells and after Naaman was on his way back to Syria, Gehazi, who was Elisha's servant, thought about it a little more, and he realized how stupid Elisha had been. He realized that Elisha had the opportunity to become rich. How could he turn down the riches of Syria? It was up to Gehazi, you see, to look after the bottom line for the ministry. And so after Naaman had traveled some distance, Gehazi said to himself, my master was too easy on Naaman by not accepting from him what he brought. As surely as the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. You can see the way that Gehazi's sin began with an evil desire. He wanted to get something. Literally, he wanted to get anything. And that is the way that greed operates. It has an insatiable appetite. It is never satisfied. It always wants a little bit more. A few more clothes, a few more dollars, a few more toys, a little more security, a few more things. Gehazi was so greedy that he wanted to get something, anything, from Naaman. And this is how sin always starts, not just greed, but other sins as well. It always starts with an evil desire. This is what the Apostle James said, Each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. And if desire leads to temptation, and if temptation leads to sin, and if sin leads to death, then the battle against sin begins with the very first desire in the heart. You know, it was not wrong for Naaman's wealth to enter Gehazi's mind, 
But it was wrong for him to entertain that idea and then to crave Naaman's silver. And as soon as an evil thought enters the mind, that is when spiritual warfare begins. The battle has been fully engaged. And if the believer does not drive away the very first thought of an evil desire, then soon that desire will lead to temptation and the battle against sin will be half lost before it has even been begun. This reminds us that our battle against sin must be waged on every level. Fight temptation by avoiding every occasion of sin. If you are tempted by gluttony, stay out of the pastry aisle. If you are tempted by lust, do not look at a woman or at a man. If you are tempted by possessions, then cancel all your mail order catalogs and drive right past the shopping mall. Do whatever it takes to keep your distance from sin and to stay away from temptation. But you know, the battle against sin begins long before the temptation occurs. The weed of temptation grows from the root of desire, which is the first inclination to sin. And so defeating sin requires digging down to the very deep root of love for sin in the heart. The Puritans called this mortification, which is simply to say they spoke of the putting to death of sinful desires, mortification. William Ames called it the wasting away of sin. And putting sin to death means digging down to the root of what you really love and what you really crave, and what you really worship in the heart, and digging down to that root and then digging it out. You cannot desire the things of God unless you kill the desires of the sinful nature. This is what we read in chapter 8 of the book of Romans. Those who live by the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live by the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So greed, like every other sin, must be put to death. It is one of the sins which must be mortified. And I say that even though I well know that greed is almost considered a virtue in our culture. It is one of the virtues of a capitalist society. I suppose one of the defining moments of the 1980s came in the film Wall Street. And the motto of Wall Street's corrupt corporate executive, Gordon Gecko, serves as a slogan for our times. Greed is good. He said that was his motto. But the Bible begs to differ. The Bible says greed is very, very evil. It leads to all kinds of sin. And so when the New Testament lists the worst of the sins, greed almost always makes the top ten. A depraved mind is filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. Recognize that greed is a sinful desire. Dig it up. Put it to death, and then plant in its place gratitude. Gratitude for 
everything that the Lord has given to you and done for you, however much or however little that may seem. If greed is a weed, then gratitude is the fragrant flower which must be planted in its place. Now, avarice is always a very great sin, but especially so in Gehazi's case because of his ministry. You know, in the same passage which warns about the love of money, Paul says to Timothy, warning him about men of corrupt mind who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Well, that's exactly what Gehazi thought. He thought of his ministry as his meal ticket. This was all the more wicked because Gehazi was involved in Elisha's healing ministry and outreach to unbelievers. And of course, the grace of God, which is given freely to all nations, must always be a not-for-profit ministry. And so the story of greedy Gehazi is especially a warning for everyone involved in ministry. Greed always thinks about what it does not have. But if in some way, in some ministry, you are involved in the work of the Lord, think of what you do have. You carry around the priceless treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have the surpassing privilege of sharing that good news with the lost. And you have the incomparable joy of encouraging all the saints. Isn't that enough? What more could you ask for? Is it not enough to have a little bread and a little water and to do the work which God has called you to do? These are the questions that should have been running through Gehazi's mind when getting something from Naaman first entered his heart. He should have reminded himself of the holiness of his calling and of the abundance of God's provision for him. This warning is also for the elders of the church. Perhaps you remember that by definition, and this comes from 1 Peter chapter 5, an elder in the church is not greedy for money. You see, greed is a sin which of its very nature disqualifies a man for the office of eldership. And to understand why, remember what happened to Judas Iscariot. Remember the way that he was a disciple of Jesus Christ, an eyewitness of the power of God, and then remember his particular job within the company of the disciples. He was the treasurer. And in the end, it came to be that Judas was in the ministry for the money. He sold the Lord of glory for 30 pieces of silver. And remember what he said to the Sanhedrin, what are you willing to give me if I hand Jesus over to you? You see, he was like Gehazi. He wanted to get something. But everyone who handles God's money within the church must not be about getting things. They must be about giving everything to the Lord, everything that belongs to him, everything that he has coming to him for his ministry. And of course, this warning is not just for ministers or for elders. It is for the whole church. God takes careful notice of the financial dealings of his people. You remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? They sold their real estate and they brought it to the apostles and they said that they were giving everything from the price of the sale to the church. 
But of course, it wasn't true. They had actually kept back part of that money for themselves. And because they were lying to God, they were struck down dead at the very door of the church. The Bible goes on to say that great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Well, no kidding, really. Because Ananias and Sapphira were not the only ones in the church, surely, who were greedy, not the only ones who were money lovers. Few sins can destroy the work of the church more quickly or completely than greed. This is one of the major patterns of church history. A group of Christians receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they grow and they flourish under the blessing of God. But when they prosper after a time, they get greedy and they go into spiritual decline. And finally, money is the only thing that matters to them. This was the problem with the religious orders of the Middle Ages who grew fat on the offerings of the people. This is the problem in many mainline Protestant churches, where churches are run by the power of their endowment rather than by the living presence of the Holy Spirit. This is the problem with the wayward televangelists, with all their houses and all their boats. And this is the very danger we face in the contemporary evangelical church. We belong to the most prosperous church at the most prosperous time in the most prosperous land in all of history. And yet the statistics show that evangelical Christians give less than a third of a tithe to the work of the church. And we may notice if we consult our own advertisement for the upcoming missions conference, the way that the missions budget of this church has gone into some decline in recent years. How can it be? How can it be that a people who have received all of the riches of salvation in Jesus Christ, plus all of the material blessings that we enjoy in this consumer culture, how can such a people give anything less than all that we can to the work of the gospel? Well, the answer to that question must have something to do with the love of money, which is the root of all evil. Now, if the love of money is the root, what is the fruit? Well, as soon as Gehazi gave in to greed, he started telling lies and more lies. Gehazi hurried after Naaman. This is verse 21. And when Naaman saw him running toward him, he got down from the chariot to meet him. Is everything all right? He asked. Oh, everything's all right, Gehazi answered. Well, that was Gehazi's first lie. Everything was not all right. In fact, things were very badly wrong. And even Naaman could sense that something was amiss. He was so shocked that even though he was a great general, he got down to greet this lowly servant. In fact, the verse is so strong, it could almost be translated like this. When Naaman saw Gehazi running toward him, he practically fell off his chariot. Naaman got down and he asked if there was still shalom. This is the word for everything being all right. And Gehazi said, sure, there's shalom. But of course, it was a lie because Gehazi's very presence in this conversation was a disturbance of the peace. And then Gehazi told his next lie. This one was a fabrication. 
My master sent me to say, two young men from the company of the prophets have just come to me from the hill country of Ephraim. Please give them a talent of silver and two sets of clothing. My, what a diabolically clever lie this was. No doubt Gehazi was very pleased when he thought of it as he was running after Naaman. What could be more plausible than the sudden arrival of a couple of students from the seminary? I mean, it explained everything, including why Elisha should change his mind so suddenly. How could Naaman refuse to support such a worthy charity? And especially when the request came from the great prophet himself. For Gehazi based his lie on Elisha's credibility. My master sent me to say. And furthermore, Gehazi was very careful to lowball Naaman. Naaman expected to offer Elisha ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten sets of clothing. But Gehazi didn't ask for any gold. He just asked for a tithe of the silver and a change of clothes. And so Naaman was completely taken in. By all means, he said, take two talents. And he urged Gehazi to accept them. And again, we see how sly Gehazi was. Oh, no, he probably said at first. One talent of silver would be more than enough. But then as... Naaman pressed him further. He surely would have said, well, you know, an extra talent might come in handy. And then finally, okay, Naaman, you win. If you insist, I'll take another talent of silver. You see, Gehazi was such a hypocrite that he managed to appear frugal even at the very moment that he was committing highway robbery. And we see in this the great contrast between the greed of Gehazi and the generosity of Naaman. Gehazi is trying to cash in on God's work. And yet Naaman has a completely different attitude. He has just come to faith in the living God. And so he wants to do everything that he can. He wants to give everything that he can for the Lord's work. And you'll notice that he even gift wraps these items for Gehazi and sends them by special delivery. Naaman tied up the two talents of silver in two bags with two sets of clothing. And he gave them to two of his servants, and they carried them ahead of Gehazi. Well, once Gehazi got the goods, he committed another lie. Do you sense the pattern here? This time it was a cover-up. When Gehazi came to the hill, he took the things from the servants and put them away in the house. He sent the men away, and they left. You see, actions can tell lies just as well as words can. Gehazi was very careful to send the servants away before they got up to the crest of the hill, and that way no one would ever know where he got his silver or where he got his new suits. Or so Gehazi thought. I suspect that by the time that he came into the presence of Elisha, Gehazi was out of breath. What a busy fellow he has been. There he goes, running after Naaman, trying to shake him down for some cold cash and some new threads. And then he runs back to his own house. And then, zoom, off he goes again, running to Elisha, trying to get there before Elisha wonders where he is. He has barely had time to slow his own breathing. 
or to still the beating of his heart. Where have you been, Gehazi? Elisha asked. Your servant didn't go anywhere, Gehazi answered. Where have you been, Gehazi? Oh, nowhere in particular. Just, you know, here and there, running a couple of errands. Where have you been, Gehazi? You see, in the end, Gehazi had to speak a bold-faced, outright denial. This time he is so committed to his sin, so bound up in it, that lying is his only option. And here we see in the example of poor Gehazi how pathetic sin is. This is what the scripture warns about. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap. Gehazi was trapped in lies of all kinds, fabrications, deceptions, cover-ups, denials. One lie nailed to another until finally the liar is trapped by his deception on every side. And seeing Gehazi's lies exposed in this excruciating way reminds us to be honest in everything that we say or do. Every time that we speak an untruth, we lie. Every time we hide our sin by our actions, we lie. Every time we exaggerate, every time that we cheat, every time that we fudge the figures, every time that we flatter, every time that we shade the truth, every time we do any one of these things, we are liars just as much as Gehazi was. Every time we say something to make ourselves seem more spiritual than we actually are, we lie. And yet we read in Scripture that truth is one of the outstanding marks of the Christian. Christians are called to be true because their God is true. All of his words are true. His Son is true. Remember how Jesus said that he is not only the way and the life, he is also the truth. The Scripture says we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. And if we are in him who is himself the truth, then we must be true. Christians are called to be people of the truth. We believe the truth. We are saved by the truth. We are sanctified by the truth. We speak the truth. We live the truth. We do the truth. In all of our actions, we are called to be people of the truth. Now, how many sins would you say that Gehazi committed? He was a liar. He was a thief. He coveted because he was greedy. He was also an idolater because greed is idolatry. He dishonored his father in the ministry by bringing Elisha into his lie. Those were all heinous sins especially in the life of someone involved in ministry. But that is not the worst of it. No, Gehazi's worst sin of all was apostasy, denying the gospel. And to understand how Gehazi denied the gospel, you have to remember the main lesson of this chapter. The healing of Naaman 
is all about the grace of God. It is about how wide God's grace is, reaching all the nations of the world. It is about how powerful God's grace is, cleansing the most defiled. And it is especially about how free grace is. You remember how Naaman came down from Syria carrying half of the Syrian treasury to pay for his bills. But Elisha refused to take even a single shekel in exchange for the free gift of God's grace. As surely as the Lord lives, verse 16, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And keeping in mind the free gift of grace, listen to how Elisha rebukes Gehazi. Verse 26, was not my spirit with you when the man got down from his chariot to meet you? Is this the time to take money or to accept clothes, olive groves, vineyards, flocks, herds, men servants or maidservants? You see, the Spirit of God has revealed to Elisha everything Gehazi has done. But of all the sins that Elisha could have mentioned, he singles out Gehazi's timing. Is this the time, he asks? Is this the time when Naaman has just experienced the cleansing power of God's grace? Is this the time when he has received the free grace of the gospel? No, this is not the time. And of course, Elisha is doing more than rebuking Gehazi for his timing. He is condemning him for selling out the gospel. How can Naaman learn and appreciate that God's grace is free if he has to pay for it? How can he understand the lesson that Elisha was trying to teach him, that God's grace is not for sale? Notice how Elisha rebukes Gehazi with delicious sarcasm. He mentions the money and the clothes and the olive groves and the vineyards and the flocks and the herds. And he is exaggerating, of course. Gehazi was ever so careful not to ask for too much. Although it may have been that in his mind he had already spent his winnings on just these kinds of things. But the point is that Gehazi might as well have asked for Naaman's entire kingdom. For once he adds anything to God's free gift, it is no longer either free or a gift. It occurs to me that a good way to remember this passage is to remember the usual marketing strategy. Buy one, get one free. Well, Gehazi has turned it around exactly backwards. It's get one free, buy one. And by doing this, Gehazi has put a sort of tax, a sort of surcharge on the free gift of God's grace. And this, more than anything else, is why God cursed Gehazi with leprosy. His terrible punishment shows how jealous God is of his grace. He will not share the glory of his salvation with anyone else. Nor should he. It is right for him to be jealous of his grace. It is his prerogative. How could God take anything less than full credit for the gift of salvation? He is the one who has developed the plan of salvation from beginning to end. He is the one who has sent his son to die for our sins. 
He is the one who has given us the Holy Spirit and with the Spirit the gift of faith. And if God has chosen to offer free grace to sinners, then his grace will and must be free. And you see, this is the great difference between Christianity and every other religion. All the other religions of the world tried to add something to God's grace. Judaism tries to do it by keeping the Old Testament law. Islam tries to do it by the keeping of the five pillars of Islam. Roman Catholicism tries to do it by adding works to faith as the basis or the ground of our justification. The televangelists do it by always offering salvation in exchange for money. Universalism does it by offering salvation through the Savior of your choice, above and apart from Jesus Christ. But the true and living God who offers cleansing for sin offers it only through the death and resurrection of his Son, Jesus Christ. And by doing so, he exercises a holy jealousy over his grace. And the ultimate tragedy of greedy Gehazi is that he did not understand the freedom of God's grace. So what began simply with the love of money ended out with the selling out of the gospel. When Gehazi decided to be greedy, he set himself over against the very character of God. God the Father gave us his only Son. God the Son gave us his life for our sins. God the Holy Spirit gives us the gift of faith and with it the free gift of eternal life. And how can anyone who has received such rich gifts ever think about life as an opportunity, as Gehazi did, to get something? Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we confess that your word indicts our own hearts. As we examine our hearts, we see in ourselves a great love for money and for all that it can buy. We also see how deceptive and how sneaky we often are in our sin. And we confess these sins so that we might receive the free pardon of the grace of Jesus Christ. And we give you praise that all of the blessings of salvation come free of charge. And we praise you for them in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You have been listening to Every Last Word, a ministry of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, featuring the Bible teaching of Dr. Philip Graham Ryken. We appreciate your ongoing support of this broadcast ministry. The Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals exists to promote a biblical understanding and worldview. Drawing upon the insight and wisdom of Reformation theologians from decades, even centuries gone by, we seek to provide contemporary Christian teaching that will equip believers to understand and meet the challenges and opportunities of our time and place. The Alliance also produces the radio broadcasts The Bible Study Hour, featuring the teaching of the late Dr. James Montgomery Boyce, and Dr. Barnhouse in the Bible, featuring the Bible teaching of the late Dr. Donald Gray Barnhouse. For a full list of radio stations carrying our programs, please visit our website at www.alliancenet.org. 
Every last word continues through your generous gifts and financial support. If you would like to see this program continue to benefit others as it has benefited you, please prayerfully consider becoming a friend of the Alliance. For more information or to make a contribution, please contact us by calling toll-free 1-800-488-1888. You can also send us a gift by writing to Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, Box 2000, Philadelphia, PA, 19103. Or you can visit us online at www.alliancenet.org. Be sure to ask for a free resource catalog featuring books, audio teachings, commentaries, booklets, videos, and a wealth of other materials from outstanding Reformed teachers and theologians. Thank you again for your continued support and for listening to Every Last Word.